how I do it. Anyway, um, welcome to the Badass Broadcast. The podcast about badass broads. I'm your host, Carrie. I'm your host, Shalom. And, and this here we is are again. Favorite podcast. Your favorite day of the week, Thursday. <laughs> um, how has your week been? Um, up and down weather wise. Yes. Big snowstorm. That yeah. was this last week. Last wasn't week, it? yeah. So it's it been happened about a week that we've. Had it snow. was. It was crazy, 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 crazy dump of like twenty centimeters of snow, and then. Within a few days, it was gone. I mean, it's almost gone now. But yeah. uh, then we had a few nice days, and then yesterday, Saturday was nice, and then Sunday was cool. I thought we and then agreed today not was cold. to mm-hmm. talk about weather because weather is a sucky conversation. It is. It is. You're right. It's, you're right. It's like Although, talking. To- <laughs> I will say that be- on Saturday, because it was so nice, I went. I took my dogs for a drive, to, and just to see places that I had never seen before, and it was crazy. Like. Not even that far out of the city. I drove through a town that I had never driven through before. Drove past a million times on the highway. And then drove through it for the first time. I was like, this is a cute little town. Now you want to live there? No. (laughs) Okay. But then just past it on that road is a provincial park that I had never heard of until a few months ago. And just went there for the first time the other day. Oh, look at that. And had a nice little walk through these prairie. They they have like this big wide open. um, It's basically like a conservation of the original tall prairie grasses that used to. That is, bores me to death. I know. That is the worst terrain. I, I I know. I know. Like, I know what you mean. I know what you're saying. But it's a nice trail to walk on. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't know what was there. That's <laughs> yeah. my point. I didn't know what was there. I just drove blindly. So you just like explore. Because I had, I had no idea what was there. And yeah. I'd never seen it before. And that's what was interesting to me. And it's right on the river too. So that was nice. There's fire oh, pits nice. there. I like the river. And uh, it's part of the Assiniboine River I'd never seen. It has like kind of cliff kind of banks. It's like. Yeah, it's like yeah, straight yeah. down. It's like really cool. That's pretty. That's more yeah. than just tall grass. And then... Because um, some places do that. They'll be like, hey, come to our beautiful conservation park. And then it's like just fucking grass. And you're like, yeah, you sucked me and you lured me in with like the name Provincial Park or whatever. Cause and then because we're in the prairies, we're in the middle of the country. Because I think you're, you're a mountain girl at heart. So I'm a you, water girl. I'm a mermaid. Yeah, that's true. So, um, like, yeah. And then yeah. I, when I drove home, I took, I purposely took like back road. So I didn't have to go like the old familiar route. You and, always um, do that. You're so adventurous. And so, yeah, I drove on roads and stuff that I'd never been on before. And I was like, you know what? It's just amazing how close this is to where I live. And I'd never been down this road before. Yeah. And, uh, I think this summer is going to be a lot of that in this province because we can't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so... We're going to have to make our own adventures and actually explore where we live. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I have a few plans that are exciting, so we'll see. We'll see. Also, because I'm preparing to camp this summer, I'm trying to outfit my little vehicle to be a mini camper. So I had to get some stuff from a well, hardware store. you have a store. Jeep, so it's more I mean, than just yes. a little vehicle. It's it a is. size. It's, it's a, it's it's nice a small SUV size, though, so it need, it takes some... Doing, it's yeah. going to be a little bit of a tight squeeze to sleep in there, but I think it will be possible with the two dogs. Um, it's just going to take some planning, but anyway, I needed some stuff from a hardware store, and I and at the last minute I was like, I don't want to go to Home Depot. I want to go to a little hardware store, and I, oh and there God. was one there's one on Main Street that I've driven past a million times, never been inside. It has like really cool antique displays. In the window. You're so fucking cute. You're like a little <laughs> domestic goddess. I walked lady. in there. You should be an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> I walked in there and it's the cutest little store. Got the creaky wood floors. Like you can tell it's been yeah. there forever. There's two young guys working. And uh, the one guy helped me. Like, I just need some screen, right? And he's like, well, they got like, big rolls. So we'll just cut you however much you need, right? It's like $6 as oh opposed to like. 20 bucks at Home Depot. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And then and nice. a really nice, cute little houseware section with some like 
looks like local artist work in there as well, like handiwork and stuff yeah. like that. And it's just a really eclectic mix of stuff in there. And cool. I will definitely be going back. It's called Pollock's Hardware on Main Street. Nice. Yes. I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. I probably won't. But no, you probably won't. <laughs> I have no need to. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah. Oh. I didn't, I got nothing for you this week. Okay. I just, I've been kind of binging, not another true crime podcast, okay. which is like pretty fun because they have like a more comedic flair to it for a, a true crime podcast. And then they, they're always like kind of making jokes and it's not just murder. They do like all kinds of crime. So, I, I mean, it's a little light, more lighthearted than what I'm used to. Yeah. <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> I discovered a YouTube channel this week um, that I'm finding rather interesting. It's called Mr. Ballin. Mr. Ballin, yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Like Mr. Beast? I don't. No, I don't think so. Okay. No, like this guy, like literally, like it's mostly just like um, him sitting there just telling you a story. Like it could be like a weird, spooky story or a story about like a missing person. Okay. Um, a talking in, head. In like a weird kind of situation or it could be a true crime or whatever. But he, he has a really engaging way of telling the story and then they intersperse it with photographs. Some A lot of it is just kind of stock photography, but then... Uh, but um, then they'll intersperse it with real photos of the real yeah. person or real yeah. situation. And it will actually say real photo. So it's like, so you know which one is like actually. Okay, yeah, yeah. And um, he's, I mean, he's got like a couple million followers or subscribers. Yeah. Wow. So it's a really popular channel that I just discovered. I love and, when and that I'll happens. Because like, then, then you know that he's got like hundreds of backlog, like a hundred that you can like binge. Yeah. Instead of, and like, yeah. Each little episode has like multiple stories, so they're rather quick, and they're only like say a twenty minute episode, so they're mm-hmm. rather quick. Yeah, and I'll have like three or four stories, and it's just really, really interesting and engaging. So all right. anyway, that's okay. all I have. All right, it's short and sweet. <laughs> okay, okay. So today is my turn. I think, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. I think so. <laughs> Better be because I don't have anything. Um. I, so we usually do like women who have broken the glass ceiling or like human rights activists or whatever, like women who are like really, you know, a force in their field kind of thing. Um, But I wanted to go down a different road this week and talk about kidnapping survivors and women who have escaped danger. So I have a little collection. So I have three, three. Uh, I'm going to say females because they have their ages range, but they're all quite young. So okay, yeah. okay, okay. So <laughs> why am I like okay? So my brain is like completely like. How do I start this? It's written right in front of me. Okay, what's wrong with me? All right, so we're going to talk about Jamie Kloss. Uh, are you familiar with this story? That's the one from just like a year or so ago, a couple years ago? Yeah, a couple years ago. Yeah. Okay, so October 15th, 2018. I, like, I had heard her name before. I don't know, I didn't know her story, though. Like, I just assumed it was like, um, I got it mixed up with like Polyclass or whatever her name is. Polyclass. So I, I I don't know, but. I, um, I remember reading it like kind of, like sort of following it along like after it happened and then and then reading like when she yeah when she was found and it was they found her anyway go on I was just thinking where was I at this point I was literally like packing up in Calgary this was less than a week before I moved here Mm. oh okay so October 15th 2018 Barron Wisconsin Barron is a calm, safe town, lots of factories, so, like, most people work in factories in that area. Um, 13-year-old Jamie wakes up to her dog barking, and she looks outside and sees a car approaching the house, but there's no headlights, and it's quietly, slowly rolling up to the house. She runs to her parents' room and wakes up her parents. Her dad goes into the living room to look out the window, while Mom and Jamie go hide in the bathroom, crouched in the tub. Jamie's mom, Denise, 
calls the police. 21-year-old Jake Thomas Patterson approached the house in head-to-toe black, including balaclava, while James Kloss, Jamie's dad, goes to the door to ask who it is. James initially thinks it's the police, or so it's presumed. Very confused. Crime basically does not happen in Barron, Wisconsin. So, Jake yells at him to open the door and immediately shoots through the small window with a 12-gauge shotgun. This shot hits James in the head, killing him immediately. He shoots out the deadbolt and enters the house. He walks around searching specifically for Jamie when he realizes that the only room with a closed door is the bathroom. He kicks the door in a bunch of times and goes directly to the tub. He grabs the shower rod and tosses it across the room. He grabs Denise's phone from her hand and throws it on the floor. I heard the um, the 911 call, and she was on the phone with 911 at that time. And all like they could not understand a word. They could just hear crying, screaming. Maybe a couple of words were clear, like broken into my house or something like that. They had no idea what the problem was, the, uh, the 911 operators. Hmm. So he directs Denise to duct tape Jamie, and she refuses. So he puts the shotgun down and wraps the tape around Jamie's whole head. He tapes her wrists together behind her back and tapes her ankles together. He then shoots Denise as he's walking out of the house, out of the room, and drags Jamie out of the house and puts her in the trunk of his car. In total, he was in the house for approximately four minutes. As he was driving down the road, he, about 20 seconds later, he passed the cops driving to the scene of the crime. He calmly drove by and kept going. Patterson drives the speed limit over an hour away to his home in Gordon, Wisconsin. So you know that I love to shit on the cops. I've had my own negative experiences with them. And, uh, you know, like, I think that yeah. 98% of them are ego-driven sociopaths. But I will say the cops worked tirelessly to find her. They did no, like, overt, like, stupid mistakes or anything like that. And they did a lot of things right. They went down every avenue what? to find her. However, they admittedly fucked up by not sending a cop to follow the car when they passed it. There were, like, three cop cars that went initially. And one of them, I think it was maybe the sheriff or the lead detective or whoever was in charge thought about it for a split second and then they were like no like they also have dash cams so they just kind of rely on like we probably have this person's license plate in our dash cam anyway right so it's not that urgent so um so their their perspective was that the, uh this could be a potential witness so they were thinking like let's pull them over and just like see if they've seen anything today you know, or while they were driving by, but mm -hmm. they wanted all hands on deck because they didn't know what they were walking into because the 911 call was so unclear. So creepy side note, there was this dude later on that snuck into the house and stole some of Jamie's clothes and underwear after the house was released as a crime scene. So the cops were monitoring it in case Patterson would return to the scene and so they arrested him and went through the whole process. So that was like a red herring because that guy was just a creep, maybe a pedophile, maybe an actual predator, but not the one that kidnapped Jamie. Not the one they were looking for. So anyway, <coughs> that got them nowhere. So as much as they tried, Jamie's fate <laughs> laid in her own hands. So now she was described as a shy and timid little girl. She was a young 13-year-old, they said. So, like, her friends and family had said, like, refer to her as young. So she's still into, like, rainbows and unicorns instead of makeup and boys, you know? Okay. So friends and family were really scared because they thought that she would be the perfect victim and that she wouldn't be able to escape if given the chance. So fast forward 88 days, and a 60-some-year-old woman named Jeannie Nutter is social worker, perfect person, Right time, right place. Yeah. She's taking her dog for a walk near her house, and she came across a young girl on the side of the road. 
She said she needed help, and she said that her name was Jamie Kloss. It was cold outside, and she was not dressed for the weather. She was wearing leggings, a tank top, a zip-up sweater. She told her that Jake Patterson killed her parents and abducted her. She didn't know where she was. Um, When the lady said, um, you're in Gordon, Wisconsin, she had no idea where that was. So uh, she's wearing men's runners, but on the wrong feet. So she was clearly in a hurry. She was in shock, tired, dirty, with matted hair. Jeannie Mm. knew about the story from the news and recognized her immediately. She brought her over to a neighbor's house that she knew would be home. So because she, she herself lived alone and didn't know the full scope of the situation, she knew that there was a whole family at home that, like, a couple doors down, right? Just felt safer. Yeah. So they would be home at this time. Peter and Kristen Kaczynska, they took her in and called the police. Um, and also they locked all the doors and armed themselves in case Jake would come looking for her. And they sent their kids to play in the basement for safety. Side note, fun, fun fact, Kristen was actually Jake's middle school teacher, but had no idea that he'd lived down the road, like two doors down. So this is an area with like lots of cabins. Oh, she was large, that close. large yards, like cabins, acreages, right? So mm-hmm. they're like the houses aren't very close together, but it is like um, a community kind of area, and everyone like walks and takes their dogs for walks or whatever. Yeah. So um, it's a nice little country community, and yeah, she had no idea. Um, so eventually as the cops are taking Jamie away, obviously for safety and to get her checked out at the hospital, while they're driving away, they pass a red car that looks like the one seen leaving the original crime scene and they pull the license plate. These are obviously not the same cops. It's a different County, whatever. So they pull the license plate and it turns out it's registered to a woman named Katie Patterson. (laughs) Uh, she radios back to other cops that are still at the house, so they lie in wait for the red car to come down the road. So it turns out that he had come home and noticed that the bags were pushed away from the bed and she was gone. Okay, he he went out driving to look for her, and she must have already been at the neighbor's at this point. So they stopped him and approached his car, one on either side, and he cooperated fully, telling them his name and he then immediately confessed. He got out of the car and said he knew what this was about and that he had done it. They asked him, like, what do you think this is about? And he said, like, he wouldn't say. But <laughs> but he knew, like, he knew that he was caught. He just probably didn't want to say the words or something. Um, so this entire act was completely random. He didn't have any connection to the Kloss family, which was which is what made it so impossible to catch him. He had just seen her getting on the bus one morning and fixated on her to fulfill his fantasy of keeping a young girl against her will. When they, He was so young. He was 21. Wow. So when they arrived at his house on the night of the abduction, he took all her clothes and duct tape and ended up burning it all to get rid of evidence. He lived in his dad's house alone as his dad lived in another city with his girlfriend his dad would come over on weekends and sometimes spend the night but usually just like visit for the day and uh, she could be with him around the house like she would spend time with him around the house or in the backyard because the yards were quite large and private and they wouldn't be seen but if he left the house or if anyone came over he would make her lie under his twin bed and not move no bathroom break no food or water for sometimes 12 hours at a time. Mm. He enclosed her with tubs or totes and put weights in front. So it would be difficult for her to move them. And then he would play music whenever someone was around. Um, and so his dad actually recalled this one time that he was home alone. Like Jake had left for a few hours and his dad was there and he went into Jake's room to turn the music down and went back. 
like, and just like walked out, but he was just in there for a couple seconds. Oh my goodness. He didn't know. And he was devastated when he found out. Oh my goodness. He was just like, I can't, I can't imagine, like, I could have saved this girl. Wow. But. But what, how, you wouldn't even go there in your mind though. No. Like how. He's 21, he's quiet, he's reserved. How, how, how would a a parent or somebody else living in the house even go to that, to, to see, like, even if there was like weird stuff around his bed to think, oh, I wonder what or who he's got hiding under there. Like. But his whole bed was a mess or his room was a mess. So like. Yeah. He would never have thought. Yeah. Wow. So, also, she knew, she, oh, she never knew, like, if he had left the house or for how long. So, she never knew if she had enough time to escape. Um, and she would, uh, he, oh, he said he hadn't put any special locks or anything on the doors. He didn't chain her up, nothing like that. But he had a really bad temper. And obviously, she saw what he was capable of yeah. when he killed her parents. So he would freak out at anything, and that's what kept her in line. So he thought she had she, he had thought that she had tried to escape a couple times. So he got super angry that he oh I skipped something. <laughs> he got super angry, and then he um he like freaked out, punched a hole in the wall, like yelled at her, said that like I think he beat her a few times, and and then so that she knew like. Or he knew that she wouldn't try again. Mm-hmm. Um, he hit her on the back of the head once with like a hammer or something. Yeah. Or no, it was like a bat or something like that. Um, sorry, I didn't write that down. Oh, still. Either way. Yeah, and he just kept threatening her and saying like, it'll be worse next time kind of thing. So he he often left the house though to go to the store or to visit his mother. And he was just going about his life like nothing had changed in his schedule which is also weird because when the cops were talking about it they were like look for someone who has a change in schedule is more reserved than usual yeah. kind of thing and um he, he, he nothing changed outwardly life. yeah weird so man i can't imagine it's uh, scary to think what like if he had gotten away with that like say he had ended up killing her or whatever and nobody would have ever suspected him. And then he would have kept on going well, at 21. His plan was to keep doing it with other girls and to get out like a harem, a collection. Oh, wow. And in his mind, they were in love. In his mind, she was warming up to him. Jeez. So shortly after he left this day, like, okay, sorry, I missed some. At, at this point, like, he was so confident enough to the point where he thought she was getting more comfortable with him. He even said that like in his interview when he was arrested. And so on that, on that day, uh, he was going for a job interview, which means that he was planning to have like, to be away from home for like nine hours a day, you know? So shortly after he left, she pushed the weighted bags away and ran scared for her life. As she made it down the driveway and onto the road This is when she met Jeannie. Jeannie said she was just at the right place at the right time and that it was a damn miracle, she said. (laughs) She hustled to get Jamie off the road and, and into safety. In her victim impact statement, Jamie said, uh, I just, I just took a clip of it, but she had a long letter that was read for her. She had written it, but obviously she didn't read it. She said, but there's some things that Jake Patterson can never take from me. He can't take my freedom. He thought that he could own me, but he was wrong. I was smarter. I watched his routine. I'm going to cry. And I took back my freedom. I will always have my freedom, and he will not. Jake Patterson can never take away my courage. He thought he could control me, but he couldn't. I feel like what he did is what a coward would do. I was brave. He was not. He can never take away my spirit. He thought that he could make me like him, but he was wrong. He can't ever change me or take away who I am. He can't stop me from being happy and moving forward with my life. I will go on to do great things in my life, and he will not. Jake Patterson will never have any power over me. I feel like 
I have some power over him because I get to tell the judge what I think should happen to him. And then she goes on. <laughs> that I just, oh God. That is what makes her such a fucking badass. I think she's like 15, 16 now. Man, I can't. Yeah. You know, it's it's so weird because, you know, they say like the quiet ones or whatever. Watch out for the yeah. quiet ones. <laughs> Sometimes it's the quiet ones that can, that are like the worst of the worst that are the total psychopaths. But then, <laughs> but then you get the, the ones that are on the opposite end of the spectrum where those are the ones that you wouldn't think would have the strength and the, yeah. the, the guts to, um, to rise above you know, and, and to end up being victorious. So it can go either way, but it seems like it's like, well, it's because when you're a quieter person, I remember being a kid and everyone thought I was so quiet and meek and mild. I mean, you know better, but (laughs) I was, I was just observing. I was just observing and watching. Absorbing. I was like, I was an absorber. Like just watching social contracts and, and everything just trying thinking. to figure out like yeah thinking trying to figure out how i f- how i fit into the yeah. world or whatever so i mean that's probably a lot of her personality was just like absorbing her surroundings and like she was she was right she was so much smarter than him and she out outwitted him yeah so anyway we're gonna go on to the next story which is a little shorter because there's not much information about her. And what I realized is there's so many great women that I want to cover, but they have so little information out there because they yeah. have like everyday lives. And then this one boom, this one thing happens. And then it's like, okay, like I could do 20 of those little tidbits on, on one show, you know? Yeah. It's so good. Okay. So Jordan Dinsmore Jordan, <laughs> are you going to sneeze? No, I'm trying to hide a yawn so I wouldn't okay. have to. <laughs> it's fine. So Jordan Dinsmore was a young college student studying criminal justice. One July evening, 2017, she get she's getting home from work at a restaurant. I want to say like Wild Wings or something like that. Anyway, it's late at night, really dark out, and like and three young men come out from behind a car and pull a gun on her. They force her to drive to a nearby ATM and take out her max, at the time, $300. She begs for her life and tells them they can take everything, just let her go. They force her back into the car and make her drive. So she gets an idea, and she makes sure not to click her seatbelt, hoping that they won't notice the dinging in the car or whatever. And they tell her the plan. They're taking her to a house where they'll rape her. And uh, I don't know what their whole plan was, but that was one of the threats. And as she's driving, they tell her where to turn. So she accidentally, on purpose, misses the turn and sees a gas station up ahead. She slows down to correct herself, or so they think, and make a turn. So she throws the car into neutral And as it's rolling around the corner, she jumps out of the car. She runs to the gas station and sees a woman and calls out for help. All of her stuff is still in the car, so she doesn't have her phone or anything. Um, And the woman calls 911. The crazy thing, I heard the 911 call, too. The crazy thing is that her mom had been through something similar when she was around Jordan's age. So she had given her a bunch of advice, like be aware of your surroundings, never go to a second location and everything. Like she, she just like told her about the experience. And I think it was a couple years ahead of time, but still, so she like, this is the thing that's going through her mind was like, okay, take note of everything. And like, how am I going to get out of this? And like, I definitely like whatever happens, I'm not going to go to this house that they're taking me to. And so she, she credits her mom and her education for her survival. Yes. So sweet. Don't let yourself so get taken to a secondary location. <laughs> if John Mullaney has taught us anything. Yes. What was the detective's name? Bittenbinder. <laughs> Bittenbinder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of some of the lines. Uh, was it John Bittenbinder? Something like that. I don't know. I don't know what it was. So, or maybe it was just detective. 
Um, <laughs> and, then, and then I heard something, I think I would think it was an interview with him and this bitten binder guy kind of like yeah, yeah. reached out to John yeah. or something like that. And just trying to correct him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause he's a real guy. That's funny. Yeah. So he's, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So our third and final badass broad I know you've seen this story. I don't know how familiar you are with it. Jennifer Shewitt. Jennifer Shewitt. Yes. I don't know that one. One summer evening, August 10th, 1990, eight-year-old Jennifer Shewitt was kidnapped from her bed. She was left for dead in a field four miles or eight miles oh. away from home. I think I might remember. I think, Okay. It's coming back to me. Okay. That's young. Eight years old. She was tiny, like tiny. You see pictures of her? She looked like she was like five or six. Like she was so small. And I mean, they, they had mentioned in something that she was like underweight or just very small for her age. She is absolutely stunning, gorgeous now. And just the cutest little girl with like one missing front tooth, like just... Big smile on her face, like. But you know what, though, like, eight-year-olds, like you think, as an adult, you think like eight, like that's nothing. That's like a little bitty thing. They've hardly even, they're just, they've just Just been here for a blip. Yeah, they don't know anything. But really, if you, especially the eight-year-olds that are in our family, like, yeah, they are smart. They're very perceptive. Like they are very observant. Yeah. They are absorbing everything. Yeah. And they are whip smart. Okay. We if were, you give them a chance. We were at our sister's recently and our youngest nephew. So how old is he? Nine? Nine. He, uh, he came up to me and Steve and he's like, he's like, can we do something? Like, he's just doing that. Like, come on, like, let's do something. Cause usually I play with him, but Lately, it's like, I I don't know, I've just been, like, not spending as much time with him because I'm not uh-huh. living next door, which I used to live so close. Um, so I was like, what do you want to do? You want to, like, play games? You want to go outside? What do you want to do? And, like, you want to go to the park or something? And he's like, I just want to go to my school and talk because his school is, like, two blocks away and... It was the cutest thing. Like, he was just like, I just want to go and talk. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, who do you want to come with us? Like, <laughs> So he invites one of his brothers, and we, we went, the four of us, for a little walk to the school and just, like, literally just sat on the jungle gym and had a conversation. It was just the cutest thing. Oh and he gosh. goes, he's, like, the entire walk, he's just like, did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I told him, I was like, dude, you know that like 90% of the time when you say, do you know that? The answer is going to be no, because I'm not reading the same books as you. Like, it's been a while since yeah. I've been learning about these things, like anything. Yeah, elementary, he's constantly right? so, learning. Like, yeah, and he's always trying to like teach me things and I don't well, know. He's I just fascinated with the world. Yeah. So yeah, like eight year olds, nine year olds, they're, they're, they're so not, smart. they're not stupid. Like, um, some people sort of like the attitude seems to be yeah. like they're, they're kids little kids who don't know like, anything. No, no, no. Kids are so smart. Yeah. And then they, and then we like fuck it up by like, and <laughs> they're smart and they also still have instincts. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's like a phenomenal combination. Yeah. That's why we hear so many of these stories of these young kids who are just like, outsmart people or just Home escape whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and and we're like, oh, that's so amazing. Well, it's like they're in that kind of age where they're, they, they mm-hmm. are learning and they're learning to learn on their own. And they're also very instinctual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. So what's that, her name? Speaking of that. Jennifer. Yeah. Her memory is still so strong. And as soon as she could speak, she did. But uh, they didn't think she could. So anyway, um, she had always been afraid of the dark. Like, so afraid of the dark. So she would oftentimes sleep in her mom's bed. But that night, her mom had, like, they she'd woken up in the middle of the night. She's like, I can't sleep. You're being too, like, wrestle, restless. She's like, can you just go to your room for tonight and sleep? 
So she kind of, she said she went to her room, she turns on the light, she like does anything and everything to distract herself, to keep herself busy so that she wouldn't be afraid. And then she was like, and then, you know, she was just expecting, and then I'll just fall, tire myself out and fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So she's like, she said she was like counting change in her piggy bank and like just doing anything to distract (laughs) herself. So the next thing she remembers, so I guess she fell asleep, and then uh, the next thing she remembers was uh, being carried out by this man, like being outside her window, and he was like just climbing out of the window and had her in his arms, which I never understand how people do that because it's like, how the fuck do you do that? Like, how do you climb out of a window, first of all, but then how do you do that while carrying like, a 60 pound child you would think like to to get into the house that way is one thing but wouldn't you just like take them out the door i don't know i would think that would be easier but i don't know but she was it just her and her mother it was just her and her mother they lived in a on the main floor of an apartment building and her grandfather had just recently bought a house for them was renovating it they were getting ready to move to a house on the end of a cul-de-sac because her grandpa was like, this is, I'm not comfortable with you guys living in an apartment building and in this area. Mm -hmm. And her mom was working three jobs. So, I mean, it wasn't like they were living in the nicest neighborhood, right? So Mm. not that it was very like dangerous overtly, but just like not the safest, you know? But of course you're in the community, like everyone knows each other. They've lived there for five years or so. You get comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, so she's about to scream, and uh, he sees this, and so he covers her nose and mouth. And so it's difficult for her to breathe, and she couldn't scream. And she said, throughout the whole ordeal, he, he stayed incredibly calm. And he, he had offered her candy, but she knew, I don't accept candy from strangers, so she knew. But uh, it, being that he was so calm, like, it didn't sound like this was his first gig, which mm. is like, and then he, I think he had claimed that it was his first gig, or his first attempt. Yeah, yeah, I'll get into that, probably. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... He said that he was a police officer and an undercover police officer. So she's like, where's your badge and your gun? And he, <laughs> and he didn't, like, he didn't have any. So he's like, uh. Um, he asked her if he was scaring her while brandishing a knife. Uh, her memory of the night is, like, vague and intermittent. But what she does remember is like, or not of the night, but like of the the actual attack was vague and intermittent. But what she does remember is so clear because she like really forces herself to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, she remembers him dragging her through the fields. I'm not going to get into like the gruesome details because that's just too much and it's not about that. Um, and she remembers him slitting her neck from ear to ear. It was so deep, it cut through her trachea and her voice box. And here he left her for dead. So the next morning, she could hear kids playing and dogs barking. Like one little, one dog came over to her and was sniffing her. And uh, she couldn't scream. She couldn't move because she had lost way too much dr- blood. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she could see vehicles passing by through blades of grass. So she knew that she was like, there was close, close to the road, like close to everything, but she couldn't move and she couldn't scream. So she lost so much blood that it took her a a while to actually be able to physically lift her hand up to touch her neck, like to hold her neck. She was holding it to like kind of holding it together. Um, One of the things, though, that kept her alive through the night was that she was being devoured by fire ants. Right. So her back had, like, hundreds of fire ant bites, which is what, like, it keeps waking you up, every little sting, right? 
So finally, she was able to reach up and grab her neck. Like I said, that's that's when she realized that he had cut her. All she could do was wait to be discovered. Like, she couldn't even... Ugh, that's just devastating. Anyway, eventually some kids found her. Like, I hope they got fucking therapy. Like... Yeah. When was this? In 1990. So she gets... I wonder if they got therapy. <laughs> I know, right? 1990. I still haven't gotten ther- <laughs> proper therapy. Um, so she gets airlifted to the hospital and she survives. Against all odds. Yeah. Her number one priority was to see him caught. So she said, of course, like, living through something like this is traumatic and everything. It doesn't necessarily make you a badass broad, but I will get into why exactly she is a badass broad. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. So she said that she wanted to remember everything and her biggest fear was to forget anything. So when she, when you look at pictures of her at the hospital, she's covered in tubes and bandages and she still couldn't speak, but she worked tirelessly to get him caught. Like she, that was her whole motivation was just like, uh, she said, she said even at eight years old, she was just thinking about how horrible it would be for any other little girl to go through the same thing. So this became her entire world, like her entire motivation, So from the time she woke up from, uh, I don't know, the coma or whatever, she would write, (laughs) I don't know if she was actually in a coma, but it was just like like medically induced or whatever. Um, But from the time she woke up, she would write notes to the police and hand them to her mom, describing what had happened and all the little details, anything that she could remember. As soon as she remembered it, she'd write it down and her mom would pass it off to the police. She had a police... uh, person guarding guarding her room just in case and um like describing everything that happened his cigarette brand his beer brand oh wow. uh, his name was dennis uh everything he did to her which i will definitely not get into it's too dark um so the cops reluctantly called in a sketch artist this is in 1990 so it's not like super reliable they think uh, she said they, oh yeah, the sketch artist said she didn't, re- they didn't really believe in her skills, but it was kind of like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Oh, so was, was this like pre, like, was this like a new thing then? No, cause sketch artists have been around for over a yeah. hundred, for like 200 years. Like you watch, uh, what is it? Alias Grace or what's, no, no, no. The Alienist. And he's like a sketch yeah, like, artist, but that's pre, that like predates wanted photos. posters. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like exactly, the old West. right? Right. But uh, you know how the 90s were. <laughs> Let's not get into it. <laughs> A little better than the 80s. That's the motto. Oh, my God. <laughs> or, I don't know. Um, so. Welcome to the 90s. A half step up from the 80s. <laughs> That's about it. A little less cocaine than the 80s. There you go. They cared about children a little bit more. That's when they started to care about children. So the sketch artist named Lois Gibson, who, side note, becomes kind of famous in her own right because of just how good she is in general. Um, This is, yeah, so, uh, but she, she had a book. This is Texas. I don't know if I talked to if I said that, but she does become sort of famous in Texas. Um, but she, she had, so she had like a book of real pictures of different people and their facial features. So it would be like a picture of a man's face, but with his eyes and his mouth blurred out. And she'd be like, like there would be okay. like a huge yeah. book of that. And so she'd have to pick like out what? the most similar nose. Yeah. What did his nose look like? Yeah. What did his eyes look like? Yeah. Okay. I was seeing that. That kind of thing. Um, so Jennifer would just, like, point at the proper facial features, and then she would describe, and she would, like, mouth words or write down certain details. Um, And eventually they got to an accurate depiction. And I'm not talking, like, um, the Unabomber or anything like that. Like, this is a real, like, a really good, proper... Side note. Picture. Have you seen the um, documentary series on, I think it's Netflix, about Madeline McCann? 
Yeah, but so long ago. The Portuguese police um, released a, a sketch, and it was literally just an oval shape. I like, think literally. I, can, I think I can visualize what it is. No facial features whatsoever. It was just like a, a like a longish kind of oval shaped. What? Like as like supposedly this is the this that was the official sketch. Oh my god. Yeah. Who drew it? I don't know. And it wasn't like, like a mistake that they corrected. No. It was like, oh sorry, we gave you the wrong slide. <laughs> no. No? No. Oh my god, I can't. I, okay, I'm gonna Google that anyway. Yeah. No, this is like super super accurate. Jennifer was like, "Yes, that's him. That's the guy." And then Lois was like, "It was really funny. I watched her in a doc. She's like, I hate drawing cars. Like, I would rather draw anything but that." But they were able to go through the same process to get her drawing of the guy's car as well. And again, Jennifer remembers. All, like she's showing me a picture of this. Yeah, it's literally like <laughs> with a few very wisps of hair, <laughs> rough face-shaped oval. oblong oval with a little bit of a resemblance of hair. That's not even ears. It's ridiculous. Uh, okay, where am go I? Go on. <laughs> no, that was that was a fun side. <laughs> Just look it up. Uh, Okay, so they do, they repeat the same process for the, for the guy's car. And Jennifer remembers everything down to like a dent on the driver's side door, a cut in the upholstery, like everything. So wow, he had sliced through her vocal box and they said she would never be able to talk again. And she started talking one day within like two weeks. They're like, your vocal box isn't supposed to heal like that. Kids heal quick, though. They said there's no medical explanation for this, that it's a miracle, especially in such a short amount of time. So she fought so hard and continued to fight to see him in prison. She would continually go back to the field, like, all the way up until he was caught 20 years later. She would continually... Yeah, 20 years. She would drive... Back to the town. I don't think she lived in that town as an adult. Um, She would go back to the field, drive the same route they did, drive around the area, drive up to her old apartment, hoping to bring up more memories or details that she had lost. Wow. She was a woman on a mission, I wrote, which I don't know why. That's so cheesy. Anyway, (laughs) um, fast forward to adult Jennifer. She's done a lot of healing. She's put in a ton of work, and she takes this his, this horrific experience and turns it on its head. She becomes a very vocal advocate for victims' rights. She's incredibly open about her experience. She, like, travels around and does speaking engagements and things like that. In 2008, her case, which is cold at this point, so it's 18 years later, it gets some fresh eyes when Detective Tim Cromie gets assigned to the case. She doesn't really have any hope for new answers because it's been going on for so long. And anyone who, like, steps into that role, it, it just never seems to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But they work together, and he kind of unofficially makes her, like, his, you know, his, uh, what am I, sidekick is the word I was looking for. Yeah co-detective yeah so they get a hold of the evidence and after two like crazy hurricanes in that those 18 years and a change of buildings and everything like that they had no hope that they would find the evidence the original evidence but they did they they tracked it down they send it sent it in for dna uh which takes a whole year to get results in 2008 i thought it took less Maybe they were just too busy or it was like cold cases I, I, I are would on the back burner or whatever. It would be a backlog at the lab. Yeah. It wouldn't so, take a year to process. No, no, no. So they get a hit on 40-year-old Dennis Earl Bradford, which means, and if you look at pictures, he looked like his description, um, which means that he was only like 20 when he did this. He had never been a suspect. He was never even on the radar. Unfortunately, 
shortly after this, he hung himself in his cell, which is so disappointing. But she had, she had actually said when he got caught, when the detective called her and was like, we arrested him. She said, don't let him kill himself. That's what, Mm. one of the things she said. Um, he had like attempted suicide like shortly after, like so shortly after Carrie, they were in the hospital at the same time, the same hospital because he had attempted suicide, misshot his dad or his someone sent him to the psych ward. So he was in the psych ward while she was in, in the, the same ICU. same hospital. In the same hospital. His name was wow. Dennis. They knew that. They they didn't really, like, take her seriously on the name Dennis because it's like, oh, he could have told you anything. Yeah. Or maybe you're mistaken, you know, because, you know, trauma. Yeah, but if he's, but, especially, if, especially if this was his first time and if he was planning on killing her. Yeah. There's no point to him lying. He's not expecting her to escape. Yeah, exactly. So he claims it was his first and only time attacking a child. The reason his DNA was in the system was because he had raped a woman that he brought home from a bar like a few years later. So Okay, so he has standards. No, He'll no, only no. rape women, <laughs> not children anymore. I don't know. He claims that was the he one claims. and only, but I mean, you never know. Like, But I mean, there, those... And something like that. He said that he, uh, like, he was, like, sitting in the car. He was w- trying to work up the, the nerve to assault her. Like, he had her sitting in the car, and he's just, like, didn't know if he could do it. Like, what a talk yourself coward. into doing yeah. that. Yeah. <sighs> so, anyway, she is a badass broad because she never gave up fighting to see justice, and she never gave up fighting for her life. Both mm-hmm. physically and in the aftermath. She continues to fight for victims. She has a wife and a mother, and she does speaking engagements with a message of hope for victims. Wow. Oh, I'm so close to tears right now. All of these women are just absolute badasses, and they outsmarted their attackers. And even as an eight year old, she was a badass. Fucking eight years old, 13 years old. Set- yeah. I don't know how old was Jordan. <laughs> um, like 20-year-old, like, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Amazing. Stamps? That, that's, that's about, <laughs> this one is about badass little girls. Yeah, but they're broadettes. They're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're babes, you know? <laughs> badass babes. Yeah. They're not badass babies. <laughs> They're not even broads yet. That's no, that's a good one. That's a good one because, like, yeah, like little girls. Yeah, they're so like so many people have such low expectations of them, like just in general. Yeah, you know, as a as a gender, as a demographic of society, little children, like they're just so dependent and their liabilities all the way around, but. If you really get to know them and give them the chance, they will shine. They will yeah. outshine their adult counterparts in a lot of instances. Yeah, exactly. That's one of their powers, though, is that they yeah. have that zero expectation on them. Yeah. They still need to be, like, like um, protected, you know? And so... Yeah. Yeah. But it's that, that miracle point in time of, like, just... They haven't yet fully learned that, oh, you're not supposed to be able to do that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, like... They haven't absorbed that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, just, I mean, it's just so beautiful. I've been in situations of, like, minor assault as an adult where I think I always, like, hear these stories and I'm like, yeah, I would outrun this guy or I would, like, beat him up or whatever. Like, you always think those things yeah. of yourself, the best version of yourself. But then I've been in these situations where I've literally just froze and I don't know what to, cause yeah. like, you know, freeze, what are, what is it? Freeze or fight or flight or fight freeze. Fight or flight or freeze. Yeah. And I just like, I definitely have realized that I'm more of a freezer and I yeah. would love to be more of a fighter. And so I'm working on that part of myself, but, um, yeah, it's just crazy. Like, I don't know what I would have done, you know, like, yeah, at eight years old, I don't know either. No, I was not. I was 
No, I was not a fighter. I was no. I'm always I'm always too much of a rule follower to like actually, you know. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, especially with with Jamie, like just I love that she like everyone thought that she was like thought just, she was a goner. Yeah, like, she wouldn't under, like, under too. They underestimated her. Underestimated her. But they did like everyone in the town came together, had so much hope for her. Everyone thought that she was still out there because they hadn't found anything. And so when, um, what was I going to say? I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) when they did find her, they were just like, like, we knew it, we knew it, you know, and now she's living with her godmother slash aunt and just like, you know, I always, living, yeah, like every time I like hear that story of her escaping and everything, and then it, like you hear that wonderful story, and then, and then it all of a sudden hits. Oh, her parents are both gone. Yeah, like they're both gone. She's literally come back to like, like she's not going to live in her house anymore. She's not like n- nothing about her old yeah. life is still intact. Yeah, she talks about that in the victim uh, impact statement. I just like, ugh. It was like it was hard to read, but I actually like heard the court. In how many minutes? How many minutes was he there? Two minutes. He Four was minutes. Four minutes. Yeah, and it's zero. All this gone. is why he didn't get caught was because he um he just didn't he planned it well enough, but he didn't have any connection. Yeah. To them, and he had like he had gone home. He had made sure he showered beforehand, shaved everything beforehand, um, so that he wouldn't leave any speck of DNA. He bought a balaclava a few days beforehand. He had gone to the house twice before to, but like either there were a bunch of cars in the driveway or he saw someone walking around the house. So he like, he wanted, he knew that his only chance was late at night. And oh, okay. I have to say this. I have to mention this. The sheriff said um, that he was like, I want to make it clear. We didn't find Jamie. Jamie found us. Yeah. And it was like, exactly. Like, you guys did what you could. And it would have taken forever to find her. her face and her name across the media. Yeah. And, and that was, that was one of the reasons why she was, um, she was rescued too, was because the, these women, they knew the story. They had heard the story. They had seen her face. So, of course, they automatically believed her, right? Um, yeah. So, I love that. She didn't, we didn't find her. She found us because yeah. they would never have found her. And his plan was to eventually move and have like a place together. And then his plan was to like maybe, um, or eventually get more girls. He thought that they were a couple. Like that's how he vi- visualized it. Wow, there's something wrong with his brain. Yeah, he was he was checked out by a doctor, and they said he wasn't so sociopathic, but he explained it all, and it, it made sense. But um, yeah, but that's not what this podcast zero. is about. We don't care no, about no, no. what was his name. It doesn't Who matter. Who cares? <laughs> um, whatever. Blah blah blah. Patterson. Their, their names. Um, yes, they get three little mini Bab stamps. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's right. They will go on to do great things, and these creepy men will not. Yes. So. Um, I did want to correct something from last week. Or not a correction, really. An addition. A bonus little piece of information. Okay. Um, and we were talking about the Atta girls. The, yes. The women pilots from World War II. And what I forgot to mention was that the ATA was the first place and time in history where men and women were paid equally for equal work. And they were... And, like, to hear the women speak, and the men, too, um, that it was a place of, like, equality. Like, there was equal respect, and they would, like, socialize together, and they had, like, I guess these lounges or, like, these areas where they would just, like, have breaks and and stuff, and they would be playing games together and just, you know, socializing. And it it was, like, this, for the most part, like, I'm sure, like, different bases had, like, a different... Vibe, yeah. Yeah, slightly different vibe, of course. But... Overall, yeah, it was like the first place where there was like real camaraderie between the sexes and 
equal pay for yeah. equal work because there was like one woman put it this way. She's like, this type of work that they were doing, there was no question. Like it was truly measurable. There was no question that these people were doing exactly the same work. Yeah. And there was, there was no, um, like you, you couldn't, there was, there would be no reason whatsoever, no excuse whatsoever to pay, pay them differently. So they were kind of forced to. Yeah. And I mean, you could say the same thing about so many different lines of work oh, these days sure. too, where there is still a discrepancy. But yeah, I just wanted to point out that that was the first time that that That's was a awesome. thing. Yeah. And it was amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Too bad we. It, too bad that didn't stick around and spread all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Amazing. What? One day, cross our equal fingers. Equal pay for equal work. One day. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's amazing. Anyway, is that a wrap? That's a wrap, baby. All right. If you enjoyed the story this week, please hit subscribe, rate, and review. That helps us out a lot. And follow us on Instagram at the Badass Broadcast. And check out the corresponding photos for today's episode. And as always, of course, see you next Thursday. See you next Thursday. Bye.